Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 3, Episode 35. And with this episode, we kick off a month-long journey into discipleship. It's one of those words that we throw around in the church that um, everybody's sort of heard the word discipleship or disciple before, and we kind of think we know what it is, but you find out there's all kinds of different descriptions and categories and practices that are related to discipleship, and it's kind of a churchy word anyway, right? It's a word that we only hear in a church setting, but discipleship really means what does it what does it look like to follow Jesus? I mean, that, that's what it boils down to. This fall, um, I've just finished producing a, a special edition of Group Magazine, the youth ministry magazine that I've been editor of for uh, about thirty years. And two years ago, because of declining subscriptions and, in general, uh, a culture that had sort of shied away from printed magazines, we made the hard decision to stop publishing the print version of Group Magazine, and we shifted all of our attention onto our youthministry.com website and started doing the the same kind of articles and resourcing that we did in print, uh, we did it online. But in the last uh, six months, we made the decision to produce a special edition of Group Magazine, all on the issue of discipleship. So if you're a youth pastor out there and you're interested in getting a copy of this special edition, we'll have a link on our podcast page that, that, where you can go directly uh, and get a copy of the, of the magazine for free, at no cost to you. That's one of our—what we're trying to do in producing this special edition is make it uh, available free to youth pastors, and it's just supported by advertising. That that's that's what we're doing. So the whole issue is about this giant elephant in the room, which is how do you approach discipleship and how do you help people become fully all in pig like instead of chicken like disciples of Jesus. So for that special issue, I knew that we were going to do a Q&A interview with somebody in, in the Christian world, and I started thinking about who's had the most influence on my life in my own discipleship, my own following of Jesus. And it, it was really no contest for me. It was John Eldridge. Uh, I read first read The Sacred Romance uh, probably almost 20 years ago now, which he wrote with his good friend Brent Curtis, who uh, later died uh, in a rock climbing accident, but the sacred romance was a uh, an upender for me. It was the first time I had read someone talk about our relationship with Jesus in a heart first instead of a head first way. And soon after that, uh, John Eldridge published his his classic uh, book, Wild at Heart, which changed the game, I think, for Christian men in the world permanently. Its message of what a man is created for and what a man who follows Jesus looks like, and embracing the the wildness in a man as a good thing, as as opposed to a, a bad thing. I mean, in so many ways, John Eldridge upended the Christian world when he wrote Wild at Heart. 
And it was it was like the book I'd always been longing to read, but didn't know it. <laughs> so I must have reread Wild at Heart three or four times. Um, and because it was so powerful and so incredibly well written, I started exploring all of John Eldridge's other works. And so I've read all of them now. I particularly recommend Waking the Dead and Journey of Desire, two books also that upended my world and changed how I think. So I've interviewed John in the past, and I have a sort of kind of relationship with him. I wish I could say I was good friends with him, because that would be awesome. But <laughs> but um, I know him well enough to, to contact him and ask him if he would be willing to do an interview for our special edition, and he said yes. So I interviewed him actually while I was on vacation, and it was about a 40-minute interview, and we covered a lot of bases. But I'm so excited for you to listen to this this interview with uh, John Eldridge, I, I think what he has to say is not only true, but it's prophetically true. So take a listen to my interview with John Eldridge, and I'll be back after the end of the interview. What I wanted to say first was anyone who is doing anything to help another person walk more closely with God is a hero. They're, they're an absolute champion. Um, and because there's a lot of um, critical do it our way or the highway. And I don't think that's true. I think, I think there's a lot of expressions of a very healthy uh, discipleship ministry in the church. And so I just want to start with anyone who's doing anything to help someone walk more closely with Jesus is an absolute champion in, in my eyes. Having said that, I, Rick, I think where the, I think where the confusion gets in, um, the troubling things that I see have to do with our goals. Well, what's the goal? Because you, you've got a program, or, or you've got a, a an event, or or you, or you have a you know a mentoring situation, but you have a goal in mind. What's the goal? And and typically in discipleship models, it's the transfer of a body of information. Um, rather than uh, something I know is very close to your heart, uh, just, you know, number one on the list is just falling more deeply in love with God. Like, is that, like, is that part of our goal? Is, is, um, is that what our, we have to think about our goals, you know, is that what we're after? Um, and I would say that if we just took Isaiah 61, if we just took what Jesus announced as the centerpiece of his mission, I want, I want to heal and, and free. I want to heal your broken humanity, and, and I want to release you from all forms of darkness and bondage. If, that, if that's our goal, it, you would see people coming out of that brilliant you know, alive and well, and, and um, you know, as human beings, they're, uh, they're being restored, and it's not merely a transfer of a body of knowledge. So mm. that, that's where I would kind of wave the flag and say, well, what's the goal, gang? Yeah, that makes me think of two things here. One of the things that Jesus uh, proclaimed when he announced his public ministry is that his primary purpose was to set captives free, quoting Isaiah. So it, that sounds a lot like what you're talking about right now, that we don't often talk about discipleship as setting captives free, or that my own captivity would, uh, I would be experiencing freedom in my own captivity. How would you describe what freedom from captivity is? 
oh my goodness, you just take the bandwidth of, of human bondage, whether it's addictions uh, or, or it's emotional captivity, fear, uh, you know, guilt, uh, compulsive, you know, uh, obsessive compulsive behaviors, that, and, and then obviously on into our sexuality and, and, and sexual wholeheartedness and, and holiness. You just take the bandwidth of human experience and say, are people being released from harmful um, ways of living into a, a vibrant life with God? So, you know, it's easy to point the sexual thing because it's so glaring in our culture right now. But yes, sexuality. Well, we, we want people, you know, to be entering into a holy and a healthy sexuality. That would sure be a piece <laughs> of our discipleship, right? They would be mm. being freed from that. Uh, you, you mentioned in your opening comments, though, that there are some kind of traditional boundaries we have around that word. And most people would not say that our sexuality is part of our discipleship. Now, they wouldn't connect the dots very well there. The other thing that you said that I think is really true is that our discipleship is really uh, sort of hooked into our head. And I, I guess if I had to describe the thing that you've been prophetic about um, in your writing and in your speaking and your counseling, your prophetic voice has sort of reclaimed the heart in, in the Christian community. I know that's, that's central to your calling, but I, I, I think you've had a profound impact on in the last 50 years of changing the conversation um, in the church and outside of the church about what this thing is really all about, because it had descended into a head thing in so many ways. In fact, Sunday school itself, which was an incredible innovation at the time, uh, devolved into a head thing in right. the end. So how do you see the head and the heart working together because some people have uh you know i think wrongly obviously accused you of leaving the head behind sometimes in favor of the heart so how do you connect these two well um the irony of that accusation is that i'm using their heads to talk about their hearts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right we're having yes. we're having a, yes we're having an intellectual discussion and we're having a theological discussion about the heart. So the mind is, is very engaged here, right? Uh, the mind is a beautiful instrument, but the mind was given to us to protect the heart, not to replace it. And, and I, I would say that in most discipleship models, the heart is not central. But if you look at the discipleship model of Jesus, the heart is very central. Right. Yeah. You know, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me was his lament mm. showing his desire. He's after their hearts. Right. It's like, don't give me lip service. I, I, I want you I want your heart. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. So the mind and the heart were never meant to be in opposition to each other. They really aren't. They they work beautifully together. Um, let's not make them enemies. Let's not, create, let's, let's not create a false dichotomy. We use the mind in order to talk about the things of the heart. Mm, that's good. You know, I have a, uh, for the last three years, I've been leading a group, a small group in our house, about 20 people, and it's called um, Pursuing the Heart of Jesus, Not His Recipes. That's the title of the group. <laughs> but uh, part of the ethic and the culture there is to, well, all we do is focus on the heart of Jesus, not how, how he makes our life better even though that's actually the fruit of that conversation. 
But what I've noticed about trying to lead people into a more heart-based relationship, I often say in that group, um, it's the heart first, then the head. That's, that's actually how Jesus engaged people. But I've, what I've learned through leading this group for so long is that when you do that, when you engage the heart first, it's very threatening. It's not safe the way the head is safe. Okay. And I'm just wondering, so many people you have led in this, in this way, how do you resonate with that? And what, what insight do you have about that? Yeah, Rick, this is such a good conversation. You're, you're flushing something I've never named before. But it, if we're thinking about discipleship, if we're thinking about bringing people along in their life with God, we have to start with the premise that humanity is traumatized, hmm. absolutely traumatized. I, I think we, we make the mistake of thinking we're starting with a fairly healthy group of people and we're just trying to kind of get them further down, you know, their journey with their faith and, and, and their obedience and their life with God. But that, that is a very faulty assumption. You look under the hood in any small group and there is massive, massive trauma. You know, you, again, it's, it's the abuse, it's the addictions, it's the, you know, the divorces that they went through as children. It, you know, it's all of that, right? It's all of the sexual trauma. So it's so important that you name that. Yes, the heart is difficult water for people because they have been so badly wounded. Hmm. But that brings us back to the central mission of Jesus. He says, hmm. I have come to heal the broken heart right? The Leib Shabar. I, and it's not a metaphor. He's, he means it, right? Mm. He's not talking, I'm just here to disciple sad people, mm. right? Everybody else, you're fine. Mm. You know, he, there is a, the, humanity has been absolutely traumatized mm. by uh, the evil trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And, 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 and so getting into the Yes, it is safer to stay in the realm of the mind, but it doesn't work very well. As far as transformation goes, you mean? Is that exactly. what you're... Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, you're speaking to leaders now, too, who feel also daunted by opening up the heart to people because it's risky because of all the things you just said. A lot of times they, they, they'll feel like, well, what if something happens? What if something gets exposed here? And I don't know what to do with it. And uh, for years, I've been trying to help train leaders to, to be more like improvisational jazz players in their ministry instead of classical uh, players who are playing off the notes. And that's very daunting for, for people. It takes a lot of convincing or practice to get used to kind of um, opening up the heart with people. And I'm just wondering, because you've been doing this for so long, for you, from your perspective, what helps to get at the heart with people, no matter what age they are, from teenagers on up, what have you learned that helps to actually help uh, that people feel like they can let down their guard and let their heart be seen? Yeah, let me, let me first address the daunted fear, because, um, you know, 40 years ago, when we all got into this, Christian counseling didn't even exist. I mean, there was one or two, maybe, uh, that you could find in a, in a community. But now, I mean, it is a vibe, you know, vibrant profession. And so you can just quickly go, look, gang, if you do pop something, if you surface something that you feel is way over your pay grade, there are Christian counselors in your neighborhood. I guarantee it. 
who, who you, you can refer people to help for. And, and I think that that can just take this pressure off. Oh no, we dare not get into something that we're, we're just frankly unqualified for. Mm. It, it's a fair concern. Yeah. Given the level of people's trauma, Gad yes. Zeus, mm-hmm. the, woman, the woman that was sitting in my office today. Mm. Oh my gosh, her son uh, has just come out as transgender. Hmm. And she's she she's she's in way over her head. She's just a mom. She doesn't know how to deal with this. What what is that? What does that mean? How how do I help my son love Jesus? You know, there are professionals now who hmm. love God who can help you with the heavy lifting, folks. So hmm. and that'll help take some of the fear off. Hmm. Now the question that you asked me was getting into the heart. I I think it is absolutely core to Christian discipleship, to ask people their story. Hmm. You need to know their story. And and in any small group we lead, ever, we begin, everybody gets an hour, everybody gets an hour to tell their story. And and only only those parts that they're comfortable telling, it's not compulsory, you know, revelation, but when you know someone's story, you are able to tailor your discipleship to their life. And, and, and if you get someone talking about their story, you have access to their heart really fast. And you're implying there by knowing their story, not just hearing their story, but being in conversation with their story. So what have you learned that has helped you to grow in your conversational ability and engaging people? I know you have a, a counseling degree and of course you're, you're trained to do this, but for a lay person who doesn't have that kind of counseling training, what advice would you give them in engaging another person's story for the purpose of maturing their relationship with Jesus? You're looking for the deep convictions. You're looking for the deep convictions in their story. Things will surface and they'll say, and I just realized I'll never trust anyone again. Mm. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, there's a deep conviction. And you believe you me, that is affecting their discipleship because they're not sure they can trust God, right? Or this mm. Jesus fellow, right? Or in another person's life, you know, you'll hear their story and, and they'll say, and that, that's why I just, you know, I just hate myself. And you go, ding, 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 ding. Whoa, hang on, deep conviction. We're getting to the core stuff here mm. because. When we think, here's another way of thinking about discipleship. It is surfacing the core beliefs of a human being and aligning them with the wonderful truth of God. Mm. Jesus, it says, knowing what they were thinking in their hearts, said to them, right? Yeah, Yeah. he's after the heart. So as you're listening to someone's story, you're listening, their real convictions are down there in the heart. And, and they have to do with hopes and dreams. They have to do with fears. They have to do with whether God is reliable, dependable, trustworthy. Mm. And you get into that territory, man, to bring the love of Christ there and the, and the truth of Christ there can set a person free literally for life. Mm. You know, it makes me think about the, the, the title I told you of our small group is, uh, of our podcast is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. And and I believe in paying ridiculous attention, not just to Jesus, but to other people. And I don't know if you're naturally good at that, but you are good at it. I've found them for the huge majority of people, they just don't pay very good or close attention to other people at all. Um, there are things that are like what you just said. I don't know if I'll ever be able to trust God. that just goes zooming by. 
We don't <laughs> recognize that. And how do you get to be a person who is able to pay ridiculous attention? Is it a natural gift or how much is it developed? No, 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 it's developed. And you, you, uh, you asked me a question. In some of the advanced questions, you said, um, uh, what are the most important things we can do for others to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus? And my answer was, have one yourself. <laughs> Gang, it, it, the same answer plays into here. The, the degree to which you ignore your heart and your soul mm. is the degree to which you will ignore others. And the degree to which you pay attention to what God is doing in your heart and soul, you're going to see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, going to, it's going to be this epiphany. You're going to go, oh my goodness, there it is, and there it is. Like, so I would say it begins with your own life. Mm -hmm. it, it begins with your own life with God. Being aware of the things in your own heart and soul that God is working on and how he is working on them how he is surfacing them. Uh, the more that you are acquainted with your own heart and soul, the, the more natural it will be to be acquainted with other people's heart and soul. Yeah, it just makes me think of uh, when, when Jesus said, uh, love others as you would love yourself. And, and we've heard it so often, it doesn't mean anything to us anymore, but it really is what you're saying just now, that if we are able to pay attention to our own story and love our own heart in that way, releases you, allows you to see and love the hearts of others. It's really good. You mentioned uh, alignment, which is an interesting way of thinking about discipleship, aligning people's um, hearts with Jesus instead of something else. And I, I've always thought of you as somebody who is equally comfortable in the, in the realm of alignment with conventional ways of aligning people to that. So your books are ways of aligning people to the truth about the heart of Jesus, but you're also comfortable on the supernatural side of things. So in, in this whole uh, idea of helping to people to align to the heart of Jesus, what role does this quote unquote spiritual realm play in that? And for, for those who are hoping to help to set captives free into disciples, um, what, what have you learned about that unseen world and what, what is necessary for us to do in people's lives? Even the example you just gave of somebody who just can't trust God. We think with our head, okay, I need to tell them the truth now, but what is the unseen side of that, that uh, fighting on someone's behalf? Yeah, yeah. The, okay, so two, two very simple things. I think we forget that what the disciples had more than anything else. The original disciples, where we got the word from, right? They had a conversational relationship with Jesus. They were able to ask him questions and he answered them, okay? That is the core of discipleship, is leading other people into that kind of conversational intimacy with God. You know, because the old adage is, you know, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. If you teach people how to walk with God, how to hear his voice, how to recognize what he's doing in their lives, you've set them up for a lifetime of discipleship long after they leave your program. Okay, so the first thing I would say in the supernatural realm, you know, I was, I was speaking to, you know, to a conference of Christian counselors, and I'm like, guys, look, 
you are friends with the most brilliant person in the world. Ask him for heaven's sakes. When you've got a client and you don't know where to go, you pause and you say, Jesus, I do not know what to do with this mess. What, where are we going? What are you doing? Speak. Okay, so I would say that piece of the supernatural. But then I think, I think also what you were partly alluding to is the single most neglected piece of Christian discipleship today is spiritual warfare. Hmm. Jesus clearly announces it in his ministry. I've come to set the captives free. You know, Paul writes to it. Peter writes to it, right? Your brethren all around the world are, are undergoing spiritual attack. First Peter 5, you know, 8 and 9. And, um, and the command is always very clear. You are commanded to resist. You are commanded to play an active role in this. So being aware also of what the enemy is doing in a person's life. Now, let me make this very, very simple. Um, one of the tools we use is called agreements. Um, the, the enemy will come into a person's life at a point of pain. Uh, there's abandonment, there's disappointment, uh, there's chronic uh, rejection or physical suffering. He, he'll come into the pain and he will whisper the lies, right? No one loves you. God doesn't care. You're on your own. Never trust anyone. And what we call is he's looking for an agreement. We make deep agreements with these things. And as just a compassionate friend, let alone a discipler, it's just someone who's listening with curiosity to someone's life, you're going to hear these agreements. Mm. People will literally put words to them. And you can pause and say, you know what, that, that agreement is really hurting your life, and it's hurting your life with God. Mm. Why don't we break that agreement right now? And to just the simple process of leading people in recognizing and breaking agreements that they've made with the lies of the enemy mm. is so fun mm. and so fruitful in people's lives. Mm. It's really just extraordinary. Uh, it, it reminds me as you're talking about uh, one of the few places where Jesus was astonished by something that somebody did was with the centurion when he's just absolutely amazed that this guy said, no, don't come to my house. I know you, I'm a guy under authority. I know you're, you have authority, so just say the word. And, and Jesus was astonished. And in his description of that, he said, I haven't seen anyone in all of Israel respond like that. And it was simply because he understood authority, which seems like a simple thing to understand. But what you're talking about relative to agreements and spiritual warfare really is in the, is in the whole area of authority and and what authority do we take and what authority do we have and it's an area of a great mystery for most people i would say they just aren't very conversant in this area no which is absolutely tragic because dallas willard said we are all in training for reigning <laughs> yeah that was his expression we are in training for reigning we will all reign with christ one day this is very very clear in scripture you your maturity process right now has direct correlation to your role in the eternal kingdom of God. Hmm. Okay, so the, the lack of understanding of authority is really hurting people very badly. It's hurting ministries very badly. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking too is that this whole idea of, of uh, making a conversational relationship with Jesus the norm in your life and then spreading that out. So one of my passions is helping young people experience that because young people don't know they're not supposed to do that yet. Right. They, they, have, they have never experienced it before in church, 
but they're very easy because I treat it as normal. It's very easy bridge for them to walk over and say, well, if this is normal, then let's do it. Adults are much more skeptical about all this. They have all kinds of reasons why this is dangerous or all kinds of things. And I always put it in the context of play, like playing at a playground where we put too much seriousness around all this stuff. But if you were trying to help people take their first steps in a more conversational relationship with Jesus, what would you recommend that they do? Ask small questions. Hmm. Here's what happens. People wait until there's drama. They wait until there's crisis. And then they come to God and they go, Lord, you know, what should we do? Do we sell our house tomorrow? Do we move? Lord, you know, is this the time to quit my job? Jesus, you know, and that's very unkind, hmm. right? No one learns how to play the piano by starting with Mozart. No one learns right? How, how to ski by doing double black diamonds. You start with very simple things. Hmm. And people will say, well, I tried and God doesn't speak to me. And I want to go tell me the story of that. And they were in some moment of crisis, right? Hmm. And, and they threw up a Hail Mary prayer and, and, and they quote, didn't hear anything. Yeah. You know, well, that's just very, that's very, that's a very unkind way to try and learn this. And it isn't the way you've learned anything else in your life. It's not the way you learned how to read. It's not the way you learned how to drive a car. So start with small things. Start with very simple questions that don't involve a lot of drama. Because it, it, your soul actually needs to be in a place of peacefulness hmm. to hear from God. When we're all tight and clenched and full of fear and anxiety or guilt, or, you know, it's very hard for me to hear from God when I am in the middle of major drama. That's so good. Right? Yeah, there's a couple of questions I want to make sure I, I get in to, to ask you before you have to leave. One of them is, what is something that now looking back on it, you wish you had been learning and growing in when you were young that would have really helped your, your own trajectory? And then the second thing is related to that. What is it you've done with your own kids, maybe different than it was ever done with you, to help them mature as followers of Jesus? So two questions there, your own, your own childhood and yeah. then your own kids. Yeah, well, I wish, that, um, I wish that someone had come in very quickly to tell me that activity for God is not the same thing as intimacy with God. Hmm. Because the number one enemy of intimacy with God is activity for him. Hmm. And, and you, all, you've read the surveys, the number, you know, the, the, the people that spend the least amount of time with God are the people that are leaders in Christian ministry. Hmm. And, and they'll tell you that they long for it, but that they're just too busy. And I got into that busy track. I, hmm. I get into that service. It's activity. It's serving Jesus. It's hmm. mission. It's let's go. Let's bring the world to Christ, you know. And I threw myself into activity and burned out because I didn't have the intimacy to sustain. Mm. Yeah. So just that one piece, activity for God, it's not the same thing as intimacy with him. Mm. And then the thing about our kids, the, the kid question really is very age relevant too, I'd want to say, uh, you know, what you do for children versus what you do for adolescents uh, and young adults is, is, you know, obviously, you know, John says, I write to you children, I write to young, young men, I write to you fathers. You know, the scripture recognizes this range of maturity. But I would say the single thing we've done 
that, ha that, that has contributed to the success of our children's spiritual life. And all three of our sons love God, and they married women who love God, is that we pulled them out of everything that felt like stained glass religiosity. Hmm. If, if it had that stifling, suffocating religiosity to it, we pulled them out of it. Uh, because that's the number one killer of desire for God later in life. You know, mm. people, people, you know, they grow up, they get out of their Christian home and they say, I don't want anything more to do with that. Rather, what we did was we made life with God an adventure. Mm. It was something that was exciting. It was something Jesus is right here with us. What's he doing? What's he saying? And, and you were right about teaching kids to hear the voice of God. They're very intuitive. They get it very, very quickly. Uh, and so life with God was an adventure versus something that was very stifling and sort of suffocating and they couldn't wait to, you know, get out and go play. It's funny how adults have learned over time to fear failure so much. It's just, it's, it's what defines adulthood for a lot of people and this whole arena of a more, uh, conversational, intimate relationship with Jesus, there's so much fear of not getting it right, of, well, what if I, uh, I often teach young people and adults to pray for other people that they don't know without asking them what they need prayer for first. They ask Jesus first, what does this person need prayer for? And it's remarkable what happens in these experiences because people learn two things. Even people that have been Christians a long time, they learn, A, a uh, oh, Jesus actually exists. Because how could that person pray for that when they had no idea that was going on in my life? So it's, a, it's an outward evidence of what is true. And then the idea that Jesus would care so deeply and specifically about your needs in the way that's revealed in that, it's a revelation for people. But to get them to that point where they would say, okay, I'm going to try this, their biggest fear is, what if I don't do this right? What if I hear it wrong? What if I say something I shouldn't say? And I do a little bit of coaching about that, but mostly it's this tremendous fear of not getting it right. Yeah. And I wonder if that's a byproduct of some of what you just talked about, the relig religiosity of things in the church puts a kind of a spotlight on not getting it right. Yeah, no question. Yeah. So the last thing here is when you think about the one thing that you might encourage people into in the, in the course of your experience in engaging people with, with this, the meaning of discipleship is maturing in their relationship with Jesus. So when you think about the one thing that matters the most to you, like, like maybe when you experience someone, you say, that person is mature. I can sense it or I experience their maturity. What is it about them that you are experiencing as mature and what do you think is the driver of that maturity? It's what you love and the driver is the heart. <laughs> it's, it's, it, in the end, it's all about what you love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's uh, human transformation at its core is learning to love the right things in the right way, right? We, we, instead of loving people and using things, we love things and use people. Hmm. Uh, and so when you meet someone, you go, wow, that is a really solid person. I love their life with God. I'll guarantee you it's because you experienced in their presence both their love for Christ and their love for you. 
Hmm. And, and, and that's not easy, gang. That's not a quick little, okay, so let's all just love God. Like our hearts have a journey to take uh, of disentangling from our attachments and our idolatry and all that. And, and until God really becomes, he, he becomes our all. He, he, hmm. it, that we are people, it's you, Rick, it's people, you, you want to love Jesus. Hmm. That's what you're about. And then, you see, that's so attractive. That's so attractive. That's not, hey, I have a, I have a, I have a program I want to take you through to pass along a body of information. It's like, man, you got something going on here, hmm. right? Yes. Yes, you got something going on here. And, yep. and, and the thing that I would say, it's back to parenting, but it's also back to discipling adults. The, the person who has a, a genuine life with God has stories to tell. Hmm recent stories to mm. tell of God working in their life. Mm. And, and what I would, I would say is just be a person who has a lot of recent stories to tell. That's good. So good. You know, I'm just thinking that, that there's a chapter in my book, The Jesus-Centered Life, about uh, rejecting the shooting culture of the church. And, and someone could hear what you just said and say, oh, he's saying that I should love Jesus. And what the thing that I think has been most profound about your work over these last decades um, and your, your focus on all this is you haven't told people they should love Jesus. You've described Jesus in such truthful, amazing, uh, revealing ways that they come to love him yes. because they're experiencing him for who he is for the first time. Yeah. So it's hard. You're either, the scripture says you're either repelled by him or you're magnetically drawn to him. There's very little middle ground when you experience him as he really is. And John, I would say you've done more than anyone I can think of to reveal the truth about Jesus in your writing work and your speaking work. And I believe that has had the impact of creating a magnet for people. They've been able to shed aside the shoulds that they, that they were supposed to do in favor of uh, magnetic attraction to Jesus. Yeah, gang, this is not gonna be hard. When you get to know God as, <laughs> as he really is, you, falling in love with him is not gonna be an issue. Hmm. And, and one of the remarkable starting places is this. He loves the things you do. He's in the things you love. So do you love libraries? God loves libraries. Do you love the wilderness? God loves wilderness. Do, do you, you know, it's, it's so beautiful. He wants to meet you there because mm. that's where your heart is, mm. right? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Like he wants to meet you in the things you love. And that is mind blowing to people. Mm. But wait a second. He cares about the things I care about. He loves horses. I didn't know that. Mm. He, he, he loves ancient Greek. I didn't know that. Mm. Right. He loves travel. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Mm. Because it opens up this whole capacity for a, for a heart connection with God hmm. and then loving him will follow very naturally all right so much to think about there that you just heard but I'm just so grateful to have had that conversation with John Eldridge um, there's there's nothing more satisfying and energizing than having a deep conversation with a kindred spirit and that's what John Eldridge is to me so if you want to uh, learn more about John Eldridge's books, especially his most recent books, we'll put links to all of them 
on our podcast page. What you're going to do is go to the PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com page, and then you're looking for Season 3, Episode 35 of this podcast, and there you'll see the, the links to his books. Please, I, I, I can't recommend them highly enough. He also wrote a book that I didn't mention before called Beautiful Outlaw, which is all about Jesus. Definitely a must-read. So please check those out, and any other resources that fall into line with all of our Jesus-centered focus here, they'll be linked there as well, the Jesus-centered Bible, the Jesus-centered life, and spiritual grit. If you want to check those out as well, there'll be links to those there. So next week, we'll continue in our series on discipleship, and we'll see you again next time.